sound People say a man is made out of mud A poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine I loaded 16 tons a number nine coal And the straw boss said, well, to bless my soul You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning, it was drizzling rain Fighting and trouble are my middle name I was raised in the cane break by an old mama line Can't no high-toned woman make me walk the line You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store If you see me coming, better step aside A lot of men didn't, a lot of men died One fist of iron, the other of steel If the right one don't get you, then the left one will You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I To the company store. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast from P Town. That song was 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford, one of the great country music legends of all time. So tonight we're going to talk about a something that probably not too many people have heard of. I only learned about it a few years back from listening to another podcast. And this one's called Coral Castle. This is a place down in Florida. And it's kind of uh, interesting how this guy built this. So it, I'm going to kind of break this up into two parts. First, we're going to talk about the guy who built it. And then I'm going to talk about the Coral Castle itself. So, the guy's name was Edward Lee Scalman, and he was born January 12th of 1887, and he was born in Stammeriana Parish in Latvia. And he only received a fourth grade education. Education wasn't quite as popular back then as it is now. And it was said there wasn't a whole lot about his childhood. It just said he was a sickly boy, and he spent a lot of time reading books. So... He learned a lot. He got really into uh, the laws of magnetism and things like that. So he was actually he was pretty smart, but that's what he spent most of his time doing. And his father was a stonemason and did that for a living. And 
when Edward was younger, he learned about doing that craft and whatnot, and then he practiced doing that in Latvia once he got old enough to where he could start working himself. And then when he was uh, 26, he got engaged to a gal by the name of Agnes Gufst, and she was only 16 at the time, and she ended up breaking off their engagement one day before the wedding. So that was pretty gangster of her. And he ended up moving to America because of this. He was pretty heartbroken. He arrived in New York on April 7th of 1912. And he worked for, uh, or he looked for work around the East Coast until August. And he wasn't finding anything. So he ended up moving all the way across the country. And he landed right here in Reedsport, Oregon. And when he filled out his draft registration in Oregon, he said that he was a self-employed and he was in the business of making axe handles and at that time back in that day the timber industry was booming out here in oregon and so a guy could probably make a pretty good living making the axe handles for all the loggers and stuff that they had out there so it was probably a pretty lucrative venture that he had going on the 1920 tax records of reedsport actually show him as living there so in the winter of 1922 to 1923, he was said to have contracted tuberculosis. So he moved back across the country to Florida and to try to get out of some of the wet climate. As many of you know, the Oregon coastal areas, it pretty much rains all the time there. So he moved back to Florida and he bought an undeveloped piece of land in Florida City. And this is where he started his Coral Castle. So for the next 20 years, he was working alone and mostly at night. He created a structure that he called Rockgate, and he dedicated this to the girl that left him years ago. He also called it his Sweet 16 or something like that. So to build this monstrosity and whatnot, he ended up uh, sculpting, quarrying and sculpting about 1,100 tons of what is called oolite limestone. And... One thing I learned was uh, in the research, they back in those days, I guess, they called it 1,100 short tons, which is just a regular ton. They actually had a term back in those days of a long ton, and that was weighing in at 2240 pounds. So he mined 1,100 short tons of this oolite limestone that he used to start making this. And he just used basic tools and he did this all himself. He didn't have any special tools that he used. It was just basic hand tools and whatnot. And he did all the work all on his own. And when people would ask him how he did this, he said he understood the laws of weight and leverage, and he knew the secrets of the people who built the pyramids. So that's kind of interesting. All that book reading he did back when he was younger, maybe, you know, he picked it up then. Uh, one person back a long time ago said if you give me a lever large enough i can move the world so some of the local residents said they can remember going on field trips to where he built this and he explained the manual methods of his work but it, nobody could really remember it and he never did fully divulge all of the secrets of how he did this and on this property he built his house out of limestone and he used just different blocks of limestone and wood and ended up building him a house and then he started building what is now known as Coral Castle. And at that time, he was a pretty, he was kind of a private guy, but this was attracting a lot of attention. And so he started offering tours of the place to the public for 10 cents for a tour. 
So then by the 1930s, he was outgrowing his one-acre place, and he ended up hiring a truck driver and a truck to move him, I think it was uh, just a few miles away from there, to a 10-acre site in a place called Homestead, Florida. And it ended up taking him three years to move everything up there. So also about this guy, he lived on a diet of sardines and crackers his entire life. And they said that in his later years, he starved himself, basically. So in 1951, he checked himself into the hospital in Miami, and he had apparently suffered a stroke shortly before he went to the hospital or while he was at the hospital. And he ended up dying 28 days later on December 7th, 1951. And he died of, it's called pyelinophritis, which is a hard way to say kidney infection. And at, once they, they started going through his property and whatnot and investigating and after he died they found $3,500 among his personal belongings and the property was in his name but they had to search for quite a while to actually find a living relative in the United States to basically give this property to because he didn't really have a will written up or anything for it and they found a guy I think he was living in Michigan at the time and he took took it over and then sold it and it's been sold a couple of times throughout the years since uh, Edward has died. Oh, and another thing to mention about this guy is said that he was only five feet tall and weighed about a hundred pounds. So he wasn't a big muscular guy by any means. So still to do all this different rock work and whatnot, it just makes it even more amazing. So he talked about his work when the field trips were come, come by, but he never would actually let anybody watch him work. And some teenagers claimed to have snuck in one night to watch him work. And they said that he moved the rocks like they were hydrogen balloons. But this is kind of, it's an alleged story. And it's never really been verified. It's just what they had said at the time. So remember how I said he moved that coral castle to a new spot. This part, just moving the stuff that he had built so far, like I said, it took him three years and the whole completion of the whole Coral Castle Park or whatever it's called, it stated it took him 28 years to build the whole thing. And so the place, it isn't built of coral, as the name states, though. It's actually built of oolite or what they call oolitic limestone, which it, it's a sedimentary rock. And there, there can be like fossilized coral inside of it and whatnot, but it wasn't just made out of coral. And another thing about the stones, too, they weren't fastened together with mortar like people would do nowadays. They're just set on top of one another, and it, you, basically it's just the weight of them that's holding them together. But luckily for Edward, limestone is a pretty easy rock to sculpt. It's not a real hard rock, but he did such a good job when he was sculpting the pieces, setting them on top of one another or next to one another, that they said no light would pass through the joints. So that's how finally he sculpted these things. And did I mention that he did this all by hand? That's would be really good to do even with machines, but doing it by hand even makes it that much more. And they said that the rocks, just to give you an idea of some of the size and how well these were put together, the rocks that make up the perimeter wall are eight feet tall, and they're all a uniform height. They're level across the top. And even through the years, they haven't really settled or anything. They're all still that same height. And like I said, they it doesn't let light pass through them. That's how tightly that they fit in there. So on the property, 
I mentioned that he built a house. Well, here he built himself. It was a two-story castle, which basically was his living quarters. And he would just kind of hang out in there. He had a gate at the front of the place, and it'd say, ring the bell twice. And after, when he heard the bell ring, he'd go down. And in later years, maybe he got greedy or something because he started charging 25 cents for a tour of the place. So some of the other uh, sculptures that he made on this place were he made an accurate sundial and he made a polar a polar telescope an obelisk a barbecue a water well a fountain celestial stars and planets and he built a light a lot of furniture and what type of furniture you may ask well i'll tell you he made a heart-shaped table he made a table in the shape of florida he made 25 rocking chairs chairs resembling crescent moons a bathtub beds and a throne and i heard the beds were pretty hard to sleep on though so most of this stuff was made from a single stone each like i said before there were some that were stacked on top of one another but a lot of them the stones that he quarried out were big enough that he made a lot of the different things out of just using one single stone they figured the average weight of the stones was 15 tons and the largest stone it said weighs is 30 tons and then the two tallest structures that he built there are a pair of monoliths that each stand 25 feet tall. And he did this all by hand alone at night. But one of the most interesting things at the place, and it was one of the things that I think uh, the first the podcast that I listened to a long time ago uh, about this was he made, at the front of it, he made a 9-ton, 8-foot tall gate. And... The gate, it's actually been featured on a few different television shows, uh, like the That's Mysterious types of television shows. And within, when the gate swings, it fits within a quarter of an inch of the walls. It, he did this all by hand by himself. And it was so balanced that it said that a child could open it with the push of a finger. That I mean, it just swung perfectly. But unfortunately, the gate, it quit working in 1986, and it took six men and a 50-ton crane to remove it. And then once they did remove it, they found out how he had actually made it move so easily and how it was so balanced. He took and had, at the end where it pivots at, he took and drilled a hole th from one end clear through, through it, and he ran a metal shaft through there. And then the whole thing, it rested on an old truck bearing, and that's what caused it to quit working was the truck bearing eventually got so rusted that it quit working and then so they put it all back together again and then it quit working again in 2005 and it was repaired again but each time they repaired it it never moved as easily as it had when it was originally installed but think about that as well he the first time it quit working was in 1986 and he had originally placed it there in the 1930s sometime so then they replaced it in 1986, and then they had to replace it again in 2005. So it had a pretty good run when it was first built. And then when they started having to replace things, it never would work as good as it had originally. But they figured, the people who've done some research on this, they figure that through the course of all this building, he ended up moving about 3 million pounds of rock from digging it up and quarrying it and whatnot. Uh, that's a lot of rock. I get tired if I move a wheelbarrow full of gravel. But in 1984, Coral Castle was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And 
it's been sold. At, it's actually a company, I believe, that owns it now, not just a single individual. And it's still open to the public. You can go there. It's a pretty big tourist attraction in that part of the country, I guess. They get quite a few visitors each and every year to come see what this guy built. And it really is. It's pretty magnificent to see. I mean, one guy that and back in those days to just make it his life's work to build this thing. It's actually a it's a pretty neat story. So like I said, this here was going to be kind of a short one. I thought this would just be a kind of a fun, quick one to cover. And I was going to let you know, I uh, was checking the statistics before I started recording tonight. And we are actually up to 11 states in the United States now. So people are hopefully getting the word out there or maybe people are just accidentally stumbling upon it hopefully we can uh, get the listenership up we're up to almost 500 listens on the podcast so that's kind of exciting uh hopefully we'll hit that milestone here pretty quick so if you uh like what i'm doing and like listening to this go out and give us a five-star rating on apple itunes or on apple podcasts and you can follow us on the facebook group at podcast from p-town or you can follow me on instagram at p-town podcast i know a lot of other guys that i listen to that do podcasts they say they get quite a lot of their dms and stuff on instagram so you can always uh send me messages there and i'll answer them or we can go back to the old-fashioned mail or email and that's p-town podcast 74 at gmail.com And I hope you guys have a good weekend. It's snowing here, so we're hoping to be able to uh, get out and get into it a little bit. So we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot.